Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, preached about that last Sunday, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You'll never go through anything that God is not working through it. All things do work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Amen? I want to focus on one phrase of verse 5. One Lord, one faith. God bless you. Please be seated. Thanks for standing in worship to the Lord. One faith. The Bible is God's word and it is God's revelation to mankind. 66 books in the canon of Scripture, Old and New Testament, revealing the mind of God and God's plan of salvation. The Bible is clear in identifying the nature of God, that He is one. He is numerically one. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, you heard those Bangladeshi Bible college students uh, quoting Deuteronomy 6 4. In the Hebrew, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. Now, there are many other aspects of God's nature. God is holy. God is love. But God is one. And all of God's divine attributes are revealed in the Word of God, the Bible. Last Sunday, I spoke on this theme of one Lord, and I trust that it sunk deep in your heart. One Lord produced one faith. Well, it makes perfect sense that if there's only one God, when he designed a way to save fallen humanity, that there would be just one way. You may remember that in the ark that Noah built, there was one door. There were not two or three or more. There was one way to get in the ark to be saved, and there was one ark. There were not two or three means of salvation. The ark was a means of salvation. So the Lord revealed his plan of salvation in what Paul calls in Ephesians 4 and 5, one faith, one Lord, one faith. Now that's the biblical reality, but we all know that in earth, that's not the reality. From a biblical perspective, one God only needed one plan of salvation. But there's more than one religion in the world. How many? Well, estimates are from 4,000 to 10,000 religions. The five most prominent religions represent about 90% of the world's population. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Among Christianity... Followers of Jesus number about 2 billion people who identify themselves as Christians. But there are thousands of denominations. In the United States, perhaps 200. It depends on what source you research. A staggering 45,000 different denominations all over the world. Little organizations, they may preach and teach a common doctrine of a particular religion, 
but maybe 45,000 globally. We are part of the United Pentecostal Church International, the largest oneness Pentecostal church in the world. But it doesn't make us better, but that's who we identify with as a denomination. And I thought about exploring today all 45,000 denominations in my message. But I thought I might lose you somewhere along the way. So it makes more sense to talk about the one faith that God ordained and created as his means of salvation. One God who created all of us in his image and after his likeness. And after original sin in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, partook of the fruit, fell from grace, tried to run from God, hide from God, and cover their shame with fig leaves. It was God who in that garden gave the first prophecy of a Messiah to come, that the seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, would bruise the head of the serpent, the devil. He would crush Satan in the cross, actually. Amen. One God gave one faith. And he told about a time when he would put to the end the enemy called Satan. God killed innocent animals way back then. He took the skins of those animals and gave Adam and Eve an adequate covering. It's interesting to see what they provided for themselves and what God provided was an adequate, modest covering. But it wasn't long after that till the first man-made religion was formed. The Bible said in the process of time, the two children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, decided they needed to bring an offering to God. So Cain, he was a farmer. He grew produce. So he brought to God what he produced himself. He brought the fruit of the ground to God. Abel, his brother, was a herder, a herdsman. And he offered, the Bible says, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He brought an animal, the first of his flock, and he brought the fat thereof, which means that he had to kill that innocent animal following the example that God had set in the Garden of Eden, and he brought that blood to the Lord. And the Bible said in Genesis 4 and 4 that God had respect to Abel and to his offering. But to Cain, God did not have respect. He did not accept a bloodless sacrifice. He did not accept Cain coming to God on Cain's terms. The Bible said that when he saw this, that he did not have respect for it. He rejected Cain's offering. When he did, the Bible said that Cain was very wroth. He got angry and his countenance fell. Have you ever been mad at God? Cain was mad at God. And the Lord spoke to Cain and said, why are you wroth and why is your countenance fallen? If you will do well, if you'll bring to me what I require, if you'll do well, will you not be accepted? And, and if you do not do well, if you don't come to me by the faith that I have established, then sin is lying at the door and it will rule over you. Cain rejected God and then God rejected Cain. 
At the heart of man-made religion is that human beings concoct what they want to bring to God. They design it themselves and they expect God to accept what they bring to him. Here's what I am. Cain's a farmer, you know, he grows produce. Here's what I've got. It's the produce out of my field. And bringing to God a man-made religion rather than what God requires. Now, last Sunday, I spent a little bit of time talking about the idols that Israel faced in the land of Canaan and the then known world. I'm not going to review all of that today, except to tell you that an idol is a man-made religion. The Lord mocked idols. They were made with men's hands. They didn't have ears to hear or eyes to see or a mouth to speak. It was a God, a religion that was the concoction or the creation of man. And God will never accept what we create. God will only accept our obedience to what God designed, this one faith that the Lord established. Amen. When you read the Bible and you look at 45,000 denominations and and all perhaps 4,000 world religions, everything conceivable, you would have to conclude that we were designed by God to worship. We are creatures of worship. And if we do not worship the creator, we will worship something that we create, a false religion, an idol. It may not be called religion, but it may be ego or money or a job or a sport or a hobby or entertainment, but you will worship something or someone. That's why we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is but one God, and he created one faith. You have to kind of smile at the arrogance of man-made religion. Man controlling the means by which he finds God. Man creating the path to God instead of obeying the path that God has created. In Genesis 11, there's another example. The people that lived at Babel. God told all of creation to spread out over the earth and be fruitful and multiply. But they decided they didn't want to follow God's plan of procreation and spreading out over the earth. So they stopped in this area called Babel. And they said, you know what, let's make some brick, burn them thoroughly. We're going to harden the brick. And then we're going to build a city and a tower that will reach up to heaven. Why don't we make a way to get up to heaven? It's going to be a man-made tower. It was at Babel that God confounded their languages and confused them and broke up that work. But Babel is another example of man's attempt to create a religion that God would accept. But God does not accept the religious offerings designed by man. He accepts obedience to his plan. Amen. And throughout the entire Bible, there is a cohesive, unfolding plan of salvation that God brought to man. In some study Bibles, you will find this phrase saying, the scarlet thread of redemption. It is the blood that was shed first 
in the Garden of Eden that flowed throughout the Old Testament, all through the sacrifices under the law, but found their completion and fulfillment in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, where once for all, he paid the price for our sins. Without the shedding of blood is no remission, but the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood, paid the price for our sins forever. It was God's plan of salvation, the faith. Amen. One Lord, one faith, and there's one baptism. One faith. That's all there is, but that's all you need. So let's look at this word faith. You can typically see it in two forms. The faith of belief that we bring to the table, that we believe in God, we believe in his word. That's faith. Faith can mean the act of believing, or it can also refer to the faith, the thing that we believe. And I want to talk about both of them but focus on that which we are to believe. Now, faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do. Faith is taking God at his word. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. it says that. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he exists, you can't come to a God that you don't believe exists. And some people believe in God that he exists and that he's remote somewhere and he doesn't get involved in the affairs of mankind. And there's a God out there. He's like an old senile grandfather that loves everybody no matter what they do. They believe in God, but that's only the first component of our belief, of our faith. But the other side of faith is that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We cannot miss this. It is not, you know, somehow creating a way to get to God. It is seeking after the God of the Bible, feeling after him to find him, though he be not far from every one of us, even the pagan people in Athens that Paul spoke those words to. God rewards those who diligently seek him. Faith is always expressed in obedience, read Hebrews chapter 11, and you will find faith always demonstrated by obedience. James said, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. My faith shows up in work clothes in obedience to God. Amen. If you seek God, Deuteronomy 4.29 says, you seek him with all of your heart. You will find him. So casual Christians, half-hearted people, agnostic people who say maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. God does not reveal himself to people who don't go after him with everything they are. And let me pause right here to say that even if you have found the truth of salvation, there should never be a time in your life when you are not going after God with your whole being. There is no room for complacent Christians in the body of Christ. Just because you found truth, don't stop there. You need to go on unto perfection. Amen? Jeremiah 29. The Lord said, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. There's one faith and you can find it if you search for it 
with all of your heart, you'll find one Lord and you'll find one faith. The book of Acts records a unique story. There's a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion in the Roman army, a captain over a hundred men, fairly wealthy, a large household of family and servants and workers and soldiers that were under his authority. But this man found some affinity to the God of the Jews. And he is called one that prays, he seeks God. He's not a full proselyte, but he fears God with all of his house. He gives money to benevolent needs toward the kingdom of God. And Acts chapter 10 verse 2 says that he prayed to God always. Now if Cornelius was okay, just like he was, godly, God-fearing, prayerful, and generous, there would be no need to bother Cornelius. Just leave him where he is. But one day while Cornelius was praying, the angel of the Lord came to him, called his name. By the way, God knows the name of people who are not in truth that are seeking him. Amen. He wants to find them. So he calls Cornelius' name. Cornelius looked on him. He was scared to death, afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And the Lord said to him through the angel, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms are come up as a memorial before God. They've literally stacked up, you know, spiritually, and they have gotten my attention. He's a pretty special guy. But the Lord does not tell Cornelius what to do to be saved. He said, I want you to send to the city of Joppa. There's a man there named Simon Peter, and I'm going to show him that he needs to come to you. I'm paraphrasing a long story, an amazing story in Acts chapter 10. The apostle Peter has a vision, three times the same vision, and God tells him what I have cleansed, don't call common or unclean. He goes with these uh, men that Cornelius sends to get him. He comes back to Cornelius' house. Cornelius tells a story how God appeared to him. And then the apostle Peter says, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. If you'll turn to God, God will reveal himself to you. Amen. But there's just one faith that Cornelius needs to know and embrace. So the apostle Peter begins to preach Jesus Christ to Cornelius and his household. And while he's in mid-sentence preaching about Jesus, the Holy Ghost falls on Cornelius and on everybody in the house. It interrupts the sermon, and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues. Amen. The apostle Peter said, I couldn't withstand God. He looks back on that from Acts 11. So he baptized him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. If you'll search for him with all of your heart, you can find him. But you're going to find one Lord and one faith, one way to be saved. It's all God gave us, and it's all we need. Amen. Cornelius, what an incredible story. One Lord, Ephesians 4 and 5. One faith, one baptism. The Bible plan of salvation. The Bible 
body of doctrinal beliefs are called the faith. You know, faith is what you bring to the table to believe God. But you have to believe something. And what we believe that will save us, God's plan of salvation, the gospel, the apostles' doctrine revealed in the Bible, that is the faith. This Greek word, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, it refers to this body of belief, the apostles' doctrine, the content of our faith. And there's only one gospel, one faith, according to the Bible. And when you believe that one faith, it brings the power of God to save you. And then it sets you on fire for God because you know if it will change you, it will change anybody in the world. It will make them a, a new creation in Jesus Christ. The early church was persuaded of this one faith. It was the catalyst for the explosive expansion of the early church in Acts chapter 6 and 7. The faith is used here. And the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests, Jewish priests, were obedient to the faith. It doesn't just say they had faith. They were obedient to the doctrine that was preached by the apostles. In Galatians chapter 1, the Bible said that when Saul of Tarsus was converted and he became who we call the apostle Paul, that he preached the faith that he once destroyed. He attacked the church tried to stamp out Christianity, but when he was converted to the faith, he preached what he used to hate. Amen. The Apostle Paul believed it so much that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul wrote to Titus, his son in the gospel, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, commonly held, commonly believed teachings, doctrine that makes up the faith of the New Testament church. Toward the end of the apostolic era, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing his little epistle, the book of Jude is just one chapter. And he said in Jude chapter 1 verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, the widely held beliefs, it was net needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It was delivered by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he said, we've got to go back and fight for what was, what was once delivered because there are teachers. He will talk about this later in this little epistle that are trying to worm their way in. They're trying to overthrow and undermine the faith 
That is what has happened through the centuries and the ages. But I'm calling us not back to the faith of our fathers of church history. We're going to go all the way back. Thank God for who they are and what they believe. But we're going to go back to the word of God, the inspired word of God that contains every word of truth. In the original language, God breathed, amen? Every jot, every tenel, every punctuation mark inspired by God. And when we go back to the Bible, we will find the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And when we find it, we need to fight for it. For in it, the power of salvation is revealed. One faith, amen. So our faith, our belief, is only effective if the substance of our faith is true. Amen. Let me illustrate it like this. You know, if you have faith in fallacy, your faith is vain. It does nothing at all. And we don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in the gospel. Amen. In the doctrine preached in the Bible. So if you had 100 units of faith, but zero units of truth. If my math is right, that equals zero. 100 times zero equals zero. So we need to bring our faith, our belief to the table. But we need to believe something that will support our faith, and that is the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say it like this. Suppose... You went up north this coming winter, and you were in an area that was frozen over, and you were at a frozen lake, and you were from the deep south, or like me, even farther south, where it never snowed in Miami. You know, we didn't see frozen anything unless it came out of the ice maker. You're on a frozen, you're at a frozen lake, and you want to go out and walk on that frozen lake because you've never done it before, and you think it would be really cool to do. So you look at the ice, and you start believing in that ice that it will support your body weight. And you start thinking about the thickness of the ice, and you're trying to ascertain the thickness of the ice and whether or not it's thick enough to hold the weight of your body. So finally, you psych yourself up. You get yourself all filled with faith, and you take that first step out onto the frozen lake, and then another and then another. And when you get there, if that ice holds you up, it is not because you believed it would. It's because it was thick enough to hold the weight of your body. And no matter how much you believe, if you are out on thin ice, you're going to fall through. All the faith in the world will not save you in the judgment if you do not have faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the faith in the world will not save you unless his death, burial, and resurrection is applied to your life. That's why we believe repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is what we believe. It is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We have faith, but we do not have faith in thin ice. We have faith in something that will save our soul when the world is on fire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Bible speaks of the flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4 that if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? It brings no delight to any God-fearing person to believe that anyone in the world will spend eternity in a burning lake of fire separated from Jesus Christ. That is not something we relish, but it is the reality of the Bible. It is part of the faith. And because we know the reality of judgment, we preach the hope of salvation that you do not have to go to hell. You do not have to be lost forever. You can be saved by the power of the gospel, the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen. So there is this faith, this body of beliefs, the apostles' doctrine, what was taught in the early church. The apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1 and 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He will go on to say that we have a more sure Word of prophecy is light that shines in darkness. It's the truth of the word of God. What Peter is saying is that we have not followed fictions or stories invented by artful men and resting on no solid foundation, no substance of truth. The doctrines which they held were not weak, amen. They were strong and they worked in the lives of people and they delivered them from the power of darkness. The truth that we believe is based on solid evidence. It comes straight from the Word of God. Now, I told you about doctrine, truth, the faith that was once delivered to the saints, the faith that we believe in. We bring our belief to what will hold us up in the judgment. And there's a book written by the United Pentecostal Church about apostolic doctrine. I just want to just, just to list some core doctrines of the Bible. There is the doctrine of God. His existence, his nature, the doctrine of the Bible, how he got this canon of Scripture, C-A-N-O-N, is what we call these 66 books, about angels and demons, about humanity, that we were made in the image of God. We believe in the sanctity of life, that we are lost without God. We're all sinners, the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, that he was God in flesh, the Son of God. We believe the doctrine of salvation. I quoted that concise verse, Acts 2.38. But we believe in the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And we believe it is applied by obedience to the doctrine. There is the doctrine of the church. That you're not just saved by yourself. You are saved to be incorporated in the body of Christ, the church. For one By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Amen. We're not in this alone, we're in this together. And there's the doctrine of last things, that there will be an end, that there will be a last generation. There will be a judgment on the wicked, and there will be a heaven for God's people forever. Doctrine, teaching, the faith, an entire Bible, but those core doctrines summarize what makes up the faith, amen. And it is my lifelong pursuit that this church would be anchored in the faith, that we would not be weak in faith, our belief, or weak in faith, our doctrine. We know that truth will prevail when men and women fail. There is one Lord, one faith, 
and one baptism. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ, Jesus our Lord, the Lord, so walk ye in him. You receive Christ, you receive salvation. So don't let make that just an end in itself that you've been born again. Now that you've been born, it's time for you to grow. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in the faith. Everybody say the faith. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Then he warns them, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, false teachings that men create and not after Christ. For if you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe the next verse, verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And there's a benefit that comes from that. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Amen. The faith. The faith. This message has been largely doctrinal to teach again the faith that was once delivered to the saints. But I want to encourage you to not be confused by good people who love God, who do not walk in truth. If they are like the Ethiopian eunuch, if they are like Cornelius, they will seek God and they will find him when they search for him with all of their heart. And if their search for God runs through you, then don't just be a friend. Be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and let the light of the gospel of Christ shine through you to them. The Bible said if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And then the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. So there are people around us everywhere that are good people. Some are not good people, but good people. They're blinded to truth. It's not just a matter, and thank God for everybody who takes two and gives a business card. But it is a gospel. It is the faith that inspires faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we speak about, testify, preach the power of the gospel, then faith is born in the heart of a person. We prayed over them that God would open their eyes and that they would see the light of truth. Amen. Now, there are people who are trying to walk in truth. They've even received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm excited about that regardless of what church they're in because the Bible said that the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. Don't be nervous about that, but invite them into more truth. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with God. His blood will cleanse you from sin. And as you walk in truth, the truth will, will make you free. But if you walk away from truth, according to Romans 1, your foolish heart will be darkened. And professing yourself to be wise, you'll become a fool. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. When you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he will reward those who diligently seek him. We have our faith 
in the doctrine of Jesus Christ that we call the faith. Several years ago, I was a part of a story, a small part of an amazing story. And uh, we had a prayer conference here in Atlanta, reminded me of the story of Cornelius. There was a group of Hmong people, Asian by background, H-M-O-N-G, and they, they attended this World Network of Prayer conference that we held here in the city of Atlanta at Solid Rock. Group of ladies, I saw them when they came. That time I was serving as district superintendent, and I briefly met them, but I thought that they must have been part of some church, and they were coming to God. And, but I learned later that they found us by searching for conferences that had the word fire in it. They had this background of the Holy Ghost and fire. So they looked for fire, and they found this conference. This young lady, Katie, had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in 2013. She started searching for truth. Her husband later received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They visited churches, but they didn't find truth and power of God, and so they kept searching. She said she got frustrated and hungry for more of God. She sent me this testimony, by the way, several pages long. It's an amazing story. She said, I began to seek God for myself by digging into his word. I started in Genesis. I got books and resources. I thought I just needed to learn for myself. I knew I couldn't lose God out of my life because I had come out of such hardships and trials and tribulation in 2013. She said, I wasn't going to lose myself back in the world. I knew what I lost and what I gained when I found the Lord and was baptized in the Holy Ghost. So they're looking for the fire conference. And on the first evening, they show up. They don't look like one is Pentecostals. They didn't know that we were going to dress up. And they didn't know about modest attire. They came in T-shirts and jeans and looked around and saw everybody dressed differently and almost left to go buy some clothes and come back. But they were already there. But they said well, everybody was so kind to them, welcomed them, made them feel like they were a part of that conference, so they stayed. And throughout that conference, there were amazing things. This lady had two visions, and as she was seeing the vision, Brother Josh Herring preaching gave word for word what she was seeing in that vision. I greeted them briefly, but at the end of the conference, I realized that they were by themselves. They did not, not connected with any other church. So I went and talked to them, and I said, I'm really sorry I haven't met you and talked to you more than just like a passing word. And they said, well, we knew you would meet us. The Lord told us that we were going to meet you. And so I talked to them and found out who they were and what they believed and how they got there. They did not know anyone. They bought plane tickets, rental car, hotel room. They just came from out of nowhere because of a hunger for Almighty God. I took them back to a resource table from the Pentecostal Resources Group. We bought them, our church bought them a couple hundred dollars worth of books and resources about truth. 
I found out that they had moved to Kansas City, Missouri. My friend Mark Blackburn was planning a church there, but not yet planted. I sent them to the Life Church, Pastor Gleason. They went, and when they got there, the Huff family, would you raise your hand? They connected to this family, took them out to eat, embraced them. They were living in Kansas City at the time. They were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They connected to that church. Because they were hungry for God, and God revealed himself to them. <clears throat> they moved from Kansas City to, uh, to Honolulu, Hawaii, but they attended Brother Sanders' church in Hawaii, a oneness, united Pentecostal church. Grounded in the faith, they moved from there to El Paso, Texas. They're attending a United Pentecostal Church in El Paso, Texas. Not because the UPCI is the only people that believe the truth, but we do believe the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And these people, hungry for God, searching for truth, God led them to a message and a messenger. When Katie was with you all the other day, I almost missed her, and I talked to her as she was leaving the church. I felt like I had met Cornelius all over again, and she was so kind, like she met the apostle Peter. I'm like, I didn't have a lot to do with this, but God did, and your hunger did, and I'm so thankful that they are in the truth today because they were hungry for God, and God led them to the faith. The faith. You bow your heads right now. I thank you, Lord, for truth that will set us free. I thank you for truth that is powerful, that can save any soul, no matter, no matter how lost they are. I thank you, God, for the thousands and thousands of people in our city that go to church and read the Bible and pray, and have a spiritual hunger. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to truth. I pray that you would lead them, Lord, to a place where they can hear the truth. Lead them to a neighbor, to a co-worker. Lead them to a church. Help them find us online. Help them find a tract, a piece of paper. Help them find a message, God. Somehow, Lord, lead them to truth, I pray. In Jesus' name. Would you stand right now? At General Conference, I was walking down the hall on Friday morning. I taught a class. I was going to youth day. And a man stopped me in the hallway. I didn't recognize him. And he told me his name. I have him on my prayer list now. But he was watching an online sermon by a United Pentecostal Church preacher talking about baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That preacher connected him to us. My son Justin baptized him here in the name of Jesus. He lives on the other side of town, but didn't really know what happened to him. But at general conference, he was there with his backpack. He was going to classes. He said, no, I've connected to this church in Alpharetta. I've been going there faithfully. I thank God for hungry people. that are searching for the faith that was once delivered to the saints.
And I pray that we saints would deliver the gospel to them. And that we would deliver the faith to people who are hungry. I'm not inviting you to gather at the altar right now. Thank God for his plan of salvation. And I want to just read this for everyone. But as you gather now, you can step out from where you are. As I said the other day, there's no prizes given for the last person in the altar. Thank you for leaving room in the aisles. Gathering closely, please. Thank you. Cornelius' house, the Holy Ghost fell where they were sitting. So that God can fill you with the Holy Ghost wherever you are. But as a church family, I want us to come and pray that God would help us be fully persuaded of the faith and that we would share it everywhere we can. I quoted a verse earlier, but I want to show it to you again today. If you have never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, we're prepared to baptize you today. We have a baptistry tank of water. It's clean and warm. We have changing rooms and garments and towels and everything you need to change into baptistry clothes and then go home in the clothes you wore. But buried with Jesus Christ by baptism into his death. You can rise to walk in the newness of life. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can receive it today. But I want us to see this verse on the screens. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It is not joining a church. Baptism is joining Christ. It is for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. It is not just an outward sign of an inward grace. When you are baptized, it is changing your life. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the promise of God of salvation. This is the anchor of our faith. Would you lift your voice right now? However you need to pray, would you pray right now? If you've wandered away from truth, would you come back home today? If your faith has been clouded with confusion, if you will commit to the truth that you know, God will clear the clouds. They'll dissipate like a fog lifting on a hot morning. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name,